This bonus edition of Question of the Day is brought to you by ShareFile. We'll tell you more about ShareFile a bit later in the show. Hey, James, you got something for me? Yes, here's one. It's from Quora.com. What are the most common mistakes first-time entrepreneurs make? Is that an interesting question to you? Yeah, it's interesting to me. I'm not good at answering it because I'm not an entrepreneur. So this guy's answered, and he got um, a lot of upvotes, and I thought most of his answers were correct. Let's hear him. Um, the first mistake is keeping your idea secret. Oh. Everybody thinks, oh, I've got this great idea. I can't tell you or you're going to steal the idea. Right. Like Everyone thinks it's like ideas are a zero-sum game, and if I had a good one, you might steal it, then I don't have it anymore. And typically, an entrepreneur will go to somebody who has money and make them sign a non-disclosure form. You could totally tell an amateur when they want you to sign one because they're so afraid that their idea is going to be stolen. The reality is... 99.999% of people will never steal your idea, even if it's a good one. They'll okay, just so invest in your idea. So if it's not a mistake to disclose, then what is the upside of disclosing? The upside of disclosing is that you give them more information than is even reasonable, like over-promise and over-deliver. So you, you give them so much information that they can't not help you with it or not be a customer of it or not invest in it. So you And you show that you're the type of person who shares ideas and you become trustworthy and honest. And people like to work with people who are honest and open with them. So it's, it's a, there's a huge advantage to disclosing because that's how you build your partnerships and your network of, of people who want to help you. All right, myth number one, don't keep your ideas secret. Right. What's next? Um, trying to build a product for everyone. Mm. So for instance, uh, a great example is PayPal. So Peter Thiel wanted to create uh, a way that I can email you money, right? He could have made this product. He could have launched it for everyone. But then it would have just been like, how would he have even advertised for everyone? Instead, he launched this almost specifically for people doing eBay transactions. So he found the niche that he can be a monopoly in. And in fact, he had one competitor, x.com, which was run by Elon Musk. No kidding. Yeah. So instead of being competitors with each other, they merged so that they could fight the real competitor, which was eBay facilitating transactions among their customers. So again, not trying to build a product for everyone allows you to be a monopoly in a specific niche and build an extremely loyal audience and then build out from there. So for instance, Facebook was built for Harvard students and then it built out from there. It wouldn't have worked at Appalachian State University, presumably. It might have worked there too, but it's you start small with your small niche, and then it's space. MySpace was another example. It was initially built for music groups to put their albums and tour dates and, and blogs and so on up. And then when they stopped being that, when they tried to be all things for everyone, it kind of fell apart. It's interesting. You make the argument that you want to not try to get to everyone because the product will be better, essentially, right? But I think that another mistake that people make that's related is that, especially like when you're designing policy as opposed to a commercial idea, let's say, I feel like policymakers rarely account for the fact that populations have very heterogeneous preferences. You know what I mean? Like right. if you're a policymaker and you're trying to come up with something that's better nutrition or healthcare or safer transportation. Well, the school system is the exact school standardized system. school system is exactly right. that problem. Um, another thing on this guy's list is quitting too early 
or not failing soon enough. To think that right, people need to quit more, fail fast, fail often, quit a lot, etc. Yeah, or and I actually like don't like the word failure. I think we're sort of the internet's being swept with like failure porn right now. Like everybody loves to hear stories about failure and come back from failure, but it's more like uh, experiment. Are we failure a lot. porn? Uh, no, we we're we're pretty good. We're not know. success porn. We, uh, we're no, middling porn. Success porn is it doesn't exist because nobody wants to hear about success. So what are you talking about? Uh, I, really? Well, yeah. You, 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 don't, you I, don't watch golf videos then. The typical novel or movie doesn't is, start with like right. the guy who's like got everything and never changes. Right. <laughs> so, but I think the idea with failure or at least experimenting is understand that it's okay to change your mind or or to recognize early enough that your idea wasn't. Nobody knows in advance. What's a good idea? Which is why even venture capitalists have an eighty-five percent failure rate in their portfolios. So the best professionals have no idea. So so understanding that allows you to say it's okay for me psychologically that I'm quitting this and starting something new. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting and powerful and important point, and it has to do with kind of. I find that when people know a lot about an area, whatever the area is, like if I know a lot about baseball. Even if I know a little bit about baseball, I know that batting 300 is considered great. But you also realize that that means that you're failing seven times out of ten. So you realize how hard the task is. Right. The problem is that when you just like consume a lot of media about things without understanding the way they work, you tend to hear the anomalous stuff, right? You assume that any four boys or five boys, how many kids are, are in one direction? Oh, yeah, kidnap. Oh, absolutely. Kidnapping yeah. is a, yeah. I mean, this, this, this is evolutionary, of course. Oh, okay. Because if you see an apple tree and a lion, you have to run from the lion. You have to pick an apple and throw it at the lion. <laughs> you um, have to run. Here, kitty, kitty. No, because, um, but, uh, but, sorry, I lost it. Uh, Ugh, is this another QOD, Stephen, where we don't even have an answer? Let's just think it over for a second and then we'll be right back. Storing and sharing your work files is part of your daily routine. Make sure it's not a daily frustration. Use ShareFile from Citrix, the same creators of GoToMeeting. Designed for business, ShareFile gives you complete control over the files you share with clients and coworkers with secure and reliable access to them from anywhere. With ShareFile, you can easily consolidate all your files in one secure central area. Plus, you get to control who has access and who can edit your files. And with ShareFile's workflow features like automatic file syncing and check-in, check-out, everybody always has access to updated files. Since ShareFile also works on all your favorite devices, you can be sure your collaboration abilities will always be enhanced and secure. ShareFile can make a difference in your work. Go to sharefile.com question for your 30-day free trial and get 25% off the first three months if you sign up. Again, that's sharefile.com slash question for a 30-day free trial and 25% off the first three months when you sign up. See, we always just talk. Just uh, no question has an answer. None of us no know. No question has an answer. That's You know what? That's why this program is called question of the day, not answer of the day. Right. We're not delivering, we're not failing to deliver anything that we promise we will. Who All you, we're promising is that we're going to ask a question. Well, let, let me ask you a question then. See? Who actually... Just like that. <laughs> well, yeah, we're just asking questions back and forth. Who actually can answer any questions? Who actually has any answers at all? Okay. A lot of people have a lot of answers. Tell we've, me. We've learned a lot. Tell you, what, literally someone who can answer an actual question? Yeah. Uh, 
a physicist friend who, when my son was young and was concerned that the Earth was going to explode in a ball of fire one day Mm -hmm. because this um, apocalyptic preacher said that that's what would happen if everybody didn't change their ways and follow the apocalyptic preacher. And my son was terrified. He heard this on the news, and he thought, holy crap, we're all gone. And I did not know how to console him because I I just— I said, I'll never forget what I said to him. I said, Solomon, no— Credible authorities give this threat any credence. It was it was like a bad FBI briefing memo. It was terrible. It was my worst day as a parent. And he said, you know, no offense, Dad, but do you think you could ask someone smarter than you about this? So, so I wrote to someone, a, a friend of mine who's a very very bright guy, very brilliant guy who's done a lot of things, but he trained as an astrophysicist. And I asked him, can you, can you say who it was? Nathan Mirvold. And oh I, yeah, so so he, he was like the number two guy at Microsoft for a long time. He was the CTO. Incredibly smart. Incredibly smart. But to, what many people don't know is that he did train as a phys- astrophysicist. He was a research assistant for Stephen Hawking for a time, etc. So I said, Nathan, do you think you could um, tell Solomon uh, whether the world, the earth, uh, you know, has a chance of exploding in a ball of fire? Because I don't know for sure. And now he assured, he wrote this lovely note to Solomon assuring him that it would not. Now, does he actually know that it wouldn't? Uh, no, could I, I guess you could argue that he could have been wrong. But my point is, is that, yeah, some questions are certainly answerable by people who spend a lifetime working on them. So I don't think right. that you and right. I are degrading the pursuit of actual answers to actual hard questions. I think we're just acknowledging that we're bad at it, that you and I <laughs> That's don't have true. a lot of answers. Right, which suggests to me— That we are lesser beings. <laughs> That maybe that we're lesser beings, but also that the questions themselves are important to ask. That's 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 right. That's where we sh- that's where we want to end up. Right, we're ending right here. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do: listen to the message we're about to tell you. Then there's going to be a clip from the next question of the day. Then I'm begging you: if you like question of the day, subscribe and leave us a review so we know to keep doing these. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, ShareFile. ShareFile makes file sharing easy and secure. It works on all your favorite devices, tracks your workflow, and syncs all of your files so that everyone can always access the latest versions. ShareFile also gives you complete control of who can access and edit your files while providing you a secure central area to store them in, which is accessible from anywhere. ShareFile can make a difference in your work. Go to sharefile.com slash question for your 30-day free trial and get 25% off the first three months if you sign up. Next time on Question of the Day. Like, I bet when you have a tedious job, you can't remember what you had for lunch any one specific day. What did you have for lunch yesterday? I can't remember. But you have a good job. You're disproving your point. What did you have for lunch today? What did you have for lunch today? Spinach I had for lunch yesterday and spinach I had for lunch today. (laughs) Well, maybe spinach is not so good for your memory. Oh, tedious. It's spinach. (laughs) All right. So tell me where you're going with this. So...